Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your mom, your neighbor, or your Uncle Ernie. I'm Jill, and I'm here with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jill. We love answering your questions, so please send them to us at kdl.org forward slash stump, or email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. We'd love to hear from you. We would love it if you followed the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. When you like and follow our podcast, more people can find us. Okay, here's our top of the pod question. It's fall out there, so I have to know, Liz, corn mazes, yay or nay? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, My first instinct is nay to the corn maze. Okay. I feel like I do not have a great sense of direction in general, and then you put me in a corn maze, and I'm running into those, like, what you know, like the end of the row, and you can't go, and you have to go back the other way, and I feel a little panicky. Oh, so that's not good. It's not an enjoyable experience for me personally. Now, I've done it with my children who did enjoy it because they do have a good sense of direction, <laughs> but me on my own, I'm gonna say nay. How about you? Um, I am a yay, and I think it's not because of the actual corn maze, which to me is just fine. It's just the whole experience. Usually when you go to a corn maze, there's also pumpkins and oh, sure. apple cider and my favorite kind of donuts in the whole world, the just cinnamon sugar ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's kind of all bundled up into that, but corn mazes don't give me anxiety either. Okay. I just sort of am like, okay, if we get lost, we get lost. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It's fine. Okay. I would oh. just walk right through the corn if I felt too lost. 100% have done that before. <laughs> oh. Maybe I've never been to a real challenging corn maze. <laughs> You've never been there with me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, that, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that one, Liz. You betcha. Okay. Do you, so do you have a, a question for us from a listener today? I, I do. I do. Of course I do. Uh, my question of the day comes from Aubrey who is five years old, and she is from Ada. And Aubrey asked, is there water in a water tower? Oh, good question. That's a great question. Um, I really had, I mean, I I wouldn't say I had no idea. I figured there was probably water in there, but I didn't know how it got there or Mm -hmm. where did it go. But I grew up on the east side of the state, and there's one landmark that is still there today um, at the Detroit Zoo, there's a big, huge water tower. Okay. Um, so, like, I can remember driving there as a kid, and as soon as you saw the water tower, you knew we were almost there. Oh, yeah, like, it was exciting. exciting. So, some water towers do just serve as a landmark or a focal point. Um, like, not only for cars driving, but for airplanes, they use water towers as oh. a landmark or a point of focus, too. So, I thought that was kind of interesting. But... Most water towers do, in fact, have water in them. They're built to hold as much water as the area it serves, the surrounding area. So they're really tall because the height of the water, or the height of the water tower provides water pressure. So there's a pump station outside, and should the electricity go out, and the, the water pump might stop working, but they can still draw the water out of the tower without oh. it because it's tall. Water towers are tall. Um, It might be taller in a flat area than in a hilly area. Like they might just put the water tower up on the top of a high hill. Okay. Um, But 
Um, where does that water come from? The Grand Rapids water system, use, which is where we live, uses water from Lake Michigan. Water passes through a water treatment plant to remove bacteria and sediment and sand, and then it goes to a local pump station, which is around a water tower. Um, and it'll pass to the local water lines, or it might go up to the tower. If the pump produces more water than the customers need, extra water goes up into the water tower. And it can also flow out of the water tower if people need more than the pump is providing. A water tower also provides water for fire hydrants if it's needed. Oh. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Interesting. Also, the tower can help balance out its supply at different times of the day. So you think about it. In the morning, people are getting up and getting ready for the day, and the water pump might not be able to keep up with how much water people are using in their houses. So at night... Uh, people use less water, so the pump can refill the tower if it drew water out of the tower in the morning um, instead of the pump sending water out to people's homes and businesses. So it just stays in the tower if it doesn't if it's not needed in the morning time. Um, but I also wondered if there's actually water up there, what happens in the winter time? Yeah, does it freeze? So does it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you. Oh, I can't wait. Um, In really cold places, the pipes that move the water in and out of the water tower are wrapped in insulation, like heat tape um, or aluminum. So if it's really cold, there might even be a heating system by the pump station to ensure that all of the pipes are functioning properly. That makes sense. Yeah, but sometimes ice forms on the top of the water inside the tank. But as water goes in and out... It's kind of like a little ice flow <laughs> that goes up and down and up and down. Oh, so it fun. never freezes completely, but it might have some ice on the top. Um, in a big city like New York City, there are so many tall buildings that um, having a water tower taller than them wouldn't be reasonable, and it would actually be pretty impossible. So instead, I saw a picture of individual like really tall buildings in New York City have their own water tower yeah. on top. So I've that, seen that. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, from I the Empire State it. Building. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was really, it's kind of a cool thing to see a little water tower on yeah. top of all of these very tall buildings in a in a busy like urban area. Yeah, that is cool. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, many water towers just have the name of the area it serves. So here in Ada, where we're recording today, um, we have a water tower that just says Ada on it. But some water towers are unique, and they have cool shapes, or they have artwork painted on them. They can be painted with a local sports team logo, or the name of the area, or a nickname, if it's kind of a funny nickname. Sometimes it's a factory or a local business located in the area. And even if that, (laughs) I was reading about some of these fun water towers around the United States, that if the factory goes out of business, Residents want the water tower to stay the same, even if it's not, if even if that business isn't still there. They're, oh. they're like, you can't repaint the water tower, but some <laughs> are <tradition>. super unique. <laughs> um, a few that you might spot here in the United States, if you go to Collinsville, Illinois, they have the world's largest ketchup bottle water tower. Oh, that's fun. Isn't that fun? <laughs> that was probably the most interesting one I saw. Um, in Niles, Illinois, which Illinois is not that far if you're going on a road trip, they have a leaning tower of Pisa water tower. Um, and they have this really beautiful like manicured garden around. So you could pretend that you were 
looking at the actual Leaning Tower of Pisa. That sounds like a destination. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, In Lexington, Kentucky, their water tower looks like a Dixie cup, which is, uh, if you don't know, a little tiny like paper cup that you would use in the bathroom or something because there's a factory nearby. Oh, that's fun. Um, Rochester, Minnesota has an ear of corn water tower. Tipton, Missouri has an eight ball water tower, which is really funny to see. It looks like a a billiard ball, a pool. Yeah. Um, And Circleville, Ohio has a pumpkin water tower, which would be very appropriate for this time of year. That's cute. So maybe you'll spot a cool water tower on your next road trip or even from inside an airplane. Oh, that is great. There Thanks you go. Everything you ever wanted to know information. about a water tower. They're pretty interesting. They are interesting. I I did not know hardly any of that. <laughs> I'm glad to have shared all that. Do you uh, do you have something to share with me, Jill? Do you have a fact of the day? I do have a fact of the day. Ooh. My fact of the day today is from a new book from the new nonfiction section, and it is called Pets and Their People, The Ultimate Guide to Caring for Animals, Whether You Have One or Not, (sighs) and is written by a veterinarian. And there is a mix, I think this is so interesting, but there's a mix in this book of um, photographs of real animals and then drawings. So it's a really interesting mix. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's my fact. It's a good one. I'm ready. It's on the guinea pig page. (sighs) Guinea pig history. Guinea pigs haven't always been kept as pets. The first captive guinea pigs were kept to be eaten. No. <laughs> Rather than to become part of the family. They're so small. Oh, well, uh, maybe just a tiny little snack. Oh, <laughs> that's gross. I, I know. I thought that was a fun fact of the day. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> do, you, do you indeed have a question that you are going to answer for us today? I do. I do. And this is one from a listener who, uh, this listener... Uh, actually texted me this question because they just had to know more. So I'm very excited to share this question from Juniper from our Caledonia branch. And Juniper asks, it's not really a question, it's more of a statement. The statement is, I just need to know more about the platypus. (laughs) (laughs) It's not where I thought that was going. (laughs) So not not a question, but so I'm just going to talk about the platypus today. Um, But I'm jumping right in with the story. So back in 1748, The governor of Australia, John Hunter, was taking a walk by the river. John Hunter was a British captain. The British people had only arrived in Australia around 1700. Before that time, it was only the Aboriginal people who lived and hunted in Australia. To them, the many animals that lived in Australia were just a part of life. But for the British people who had just arrived, there were many strange and wonderful creatures like kangaroos koalas and wombats, which are only found there. You know how I feel about wombats. I know. We already (laughs) talked about them. So on this day in 1748, when John Hunter was taking a walk, he saw an Aboriginal man hunting in the river with a spear. So we went over to look at the creature and he was shocked. It had a bill like a duck and a tail like a beaver. He did not know what to make of that. So he packed up the skin in a barrel and he sent it to scientists in England. They looked at this creature and they thought it was fake. <laughs> so in those times, it was common for taxidermists or people who um, take a dead animals and make them look alive. You might still see that today. Like maybe you'll see like a, a dead uh, moose 
head on the wall or a deer head, that's a pretty common thing that you might see, especially during hunting season, right? So in that time, taxidermists would take two animals and sew them together to create some weird mythical creature that they would sell as a souvenir. I saw a picture of one that was like a monkey and a duck. Very weird. So um, the scientists in England wrote back to John Hunter and said, send more of these strange creatures. It's a great, great quote. So scientists kept studying the skins and the skulls that they would send from Australia. And they finally decided, yeah, this is a real creature. We cannot see where this was possibly sewn together. So in 1799, finally, 50 years after they first discovered it, they named it the platypus, which means flat foot. Oh. Yeah. The platypus was really confusing to early scientists. They could not decide what kind of animal it was. It had fur, which is how we say uh, something is a mammal, usually, if it has fur. But then it also had a bill, like a bird. And then it lays eggs, which is something that birds and reptiles do and not mammals. So what is this thing? Mystery is it, what it is. It, well, it's not anymore. This is actually one that scientists have an answer for, but it was a mystery for a long time. It wasn't until 1883, which is over 100 years after uh, Europeans first discovered this animal, that a Scottish scientist arrived in Australia to do more research on this bizarre creature. And he actually had um, the help of Aborig- Aboriginal people who were familiar with it and hunted it before Europeans arrived. So he discovered a mother platypus with a nest of eggs. The mother was producing milk for her babies, which is something that only mammals do. So scientists decide to say this platypus is unusual, but it is a mammal. It lays eggs, which is not something that most mammals do, but it has fur and it has milk for its young, which is something that mammals have. There are only two mammals who don't give birth to live babies, and they're both found in Australia. Australia is such a wonderful place. I know, <laughs> and there's just the weirdest animals there. Um, so the other one is called, oh my goodness, I listened to how you say its name 150 times. <laughs> and now it's just phew, right out of my head. Uh, Do your best. Uh, <laughs> Echinatus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. It's a, like a spiny anteater. Sure. It's awfully cute, but with pricklies. They also uh, give birth to eggs, but they're a mammal. And even though uh, platypuses are in their own family, just like the red pandas we talked oh, about last, yeah. last week uh, or last time, however long ago it was, um, <laughs> This is their their closest relative. Oh, okay. Um, before Europeans arrived in Australia. Wait, the red panda? Is no, no, no. This <laughs> Eucanatus. No, sorry. I'm just confusing you all over the place. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I had a question and you answered it. Yeah, fine. yeah. No, no. Just just they, they don't have uh, other animals in their family like sure. the red panda. Gotcha. Yeah, because platypus is really unique. <laughs> very weird animal. Oh, my goodness. So the Aboriginal people who did hunt the platypus for their meat, they also had some origin stories about this weird creature. And one of their stories is that the first platypus had a mother who was a duck and a father who was a water rat. (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of does explain how how they look. They're so strange looking. Awfully cute though, really. They are cute. Strange in a good way. (laughs) 
So here's what we know about these creatures today, which is is quite a lot, even though they're very shy. And so they're kind of hard to research. Um, They're only found in Australia and they have many interesting features. They have their large flat bill and they use that to dive in the water and they use it to shovel through the mud to look for their food. They get all their food from the bottom of um, the water that they swim in. So it's all muddy down there and they just use their bill. They also have fur and a long tail that's similar to a beaver's that they use for swimming and diving. And they have webbed feet, you know, flat foot platypus, that they can use for swimming as well. They spend a lot of their time in the water, but they can't, they can't be underwater a, a really long time like some mammals. It's, it's like two minutes, which is oh, longer yeah. than me and you, but sure. not as long as some other um, water mammals. And they um, have this really cool feature that is different from other animals, kind of like a shark. They have these senses. It's an electromechanical system that they use to detect things around them. And it's in their cool, big, flat bill. So when they're all the way underwater, because they eat on the bottom, it's all murky and muddy down there. So their eyes aren't working very well and their sense of hearing isn't working very well. So to find their prey, they have to use this electromechanical system. It helps them detect tiny electrical signals that are given off by the muscles of their prey and it helps them navigate underwater. So that's similar to sharks. Sharks have that, Mm -hmm. um, that as well. But I I think that they're the only mammal that has that cool system. Yeah. So they also, they burrow underground and when they're not hunting, they're pretty much sleeping. Kind of just, they eat and they sleep. I I think a lot of animals are like that. This is interesting, though. The opening of their burrow is just big enough for them to squeeze their body through. So it's actually so tight that when they squeeze through, it just gets all the extra water off of them. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, like, like a ringer. Exactly. <laughs> so they can be nice and dry in their, oh, in their burrow. Smart. I know. But also their top layer of fur is so thick and water resistant that their under layer of fur stays dry, even when they're oh, swimming. Wow. So they're nice and cozy in there. They're shy, they're solitary. There could be more than one of them in the river hunting at the same time, but they don't hunt together. And there's even not very much evidence that they communicate with each other. You know, some animals like communicate and they, they don't really seem to do that. They just live their own lives. Yeah. Do what they do. They do what they do. <laughs> so here is an interesting, this is how you know that these animals are from Australia because, you know, everything there kills you. Uh, <laughs> the male platypus has a stinger on their back leg called a spur. Oh. And this little spur contains venom. No. Yep. <laughs> so they can kill their predators like this. It would kill a snake. It would kill a rat. It, <laughs> and those are some of their things that might try to attack them. It probably is not going to kill you or I, but it could make us sick. Sure. It's not enough venom to kill us. Nature. I know. <laughs> and, they also don't have any teeth in their oh, bill. Okay. So they, when they're scooping up their food, their grubs and their worms and other things from the floor, they also scoop up some rocks or gravel, and then they just use that to mash up their food. <laughs> Fascinating. I know. So they don't do very well in captivity. Mm-hmm. I'm, probably for a lot of those reasons we talked about already, like they're very solitary and you know they spend a lot of time in, just in the water in their burrow. So to create that environment in a zoo... They just don't do very well. So they are found in a few zoos, but only in Australia. Mm -hmm. And it was even just recently that the very first um, platypus was born in captivity. It just doesn't uh, 
They don't happen. thrive there. They don't thrive there. Okay. No. Um, they are protected animals. And like a lot of the animals that we've talked about that are protected, um, they're in danger of habitat loss, of course, due to land clearing and climate change. And sometimes they can be caught in traps that are meant for fish because they spend a lot of time in the sure. water. Um, and this is my favorite fact that I have for you, my favorite extra fact. The platypus babies are called puggles. Oh, Yeah. Puggles. And they're really cute. <laughs> they're like ridiculously cute. They kind of grow into their noses later. So they're just like really tiny and little noses. <laughs> Adorable. Yeah. So, wow. I, I hope that was enough for you, Juniper. I, I don't know what more I could tell you about platypuses. They're really interesting creatures. I love that they have a spur of venom. Wow. I did not know that until today when I was researching. Yeah. <laughs> Some things I knew about them, like they're only found in Australia, but a lot yeah. of those things I didn't know. know. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that with us, Joe. I learned a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so what have you been reading lately, Liz? Oh, I have a book that I wanted to talk about. It's a chapter book, so it would be found in the junior fiction section. It's called The Horrible Bag of Terrible Things by Rob Renzetti. Is it scary? Um. Okay, well, not particularly but it does have a so we put different genres like mystery or sci-fi we put stickers on them here at the library so this one is horror that's the sticker which was intriguing to me so i picked it up um i would describe it as quirky funny and kind of gross so if that's your style this might be the book for you So let me tell you about this Okay, I'm ready. Um, Although it does have a horror sticker on the spine, it's more like a fantasy. If you like a world-building kind of book where you're transported to a different place, I think you would like this. Um, The main character's name is Zenith, and he finds a strange-looking bag on his doorstep when he and his older sister are home alone after school. Of course, he drags the bag inside and he shows his sister. They manage to open the bag and this creepy spider-like creature crawls out, grabs Zena's sister, and drags her into the bag. Oh. I know. It seems impossible. (laughs) But Zenith manages to follow her in and finds a whole world inside the bag. The story turns into an adventure into the unknown, featuring unique and sometimes scary creatures, some that seem friendly and some that are frightening. Zenith is trying to find clues to where his sister is in the mysterious bag. He follows her in, but he doesn't find her right away. Before it's too late and they're trapped there forever. He must make bargains and try to outwit the creatures that would like him to stay in the bag. The chapters are really short, so the story moves pretty quickly. You really need to use your imagination and picture what this world would be like for Zenith. It seems like a human world, and even but even time itself feels upside down when he's traveling through this mysterious place. Um, I had a really hard time predicting what would happen next, and I read 
a lot and you read a lot. Yeah. So it's always kind of a treat, I think, when you're surprised by what happens. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, so if you like a short book that, of course, lends itself to a sequel that's kind of scary and makes you think, what did I just read? <laughs> That happens sometimes. And then you want to reread it so it makes more sense maybe the second time around. Ooh, I like you, that. You might want to give this one a try. The Horrible Bag of Terrible Things. I would recommend it. Wow. That sounds <laughs> a little bit spooky, but good. It, it was different. It was it was quirky. Oh. <laughs> I like that description. That's fun. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what did we learn today, Jill? What did you learn today? <laughs> okay. Um. Well, I learned everything about water towers because I really knew <laughs> hardly anything. Right. But I think that what was most interesting to me is that there's they're used for airplanes, yeah. like as landmarks. I never really thought about airplanes having landmarks, so I really liked that. Um, and I also really like the giant ketchup water tower. That's just <laughs> wonderful. Very quirky, yeah. would you say? Yes, it is. <laughs> I like uh, quirky landmarks. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, maybe fun. you should go find that water I, tower this summer. I was kind of thinking about it. Sounds fun. <laughs> well, I learned, well, I learned a whole lot about the lovely platypus, yes. <laughs> but I didn't know that they had underwater navigation in their bill. That's pretty fast. That's a fascinating adaptation probably from... Yeah survival but sure. mm -hmm. I had no and I didn't know about the spurs either that was a surprise I, I didn't know. write that one down but <laughs> it's kind of shocking it's a little shocking yeah oh thanks for sharing all right well that I think is it for us today thanks for all of your amazing questions and helping us to learn more about our world too for more information or to send us your own question head to kdl.org forward slash stump and tune in to the next episode where we answer more of your questions. A huge and special thanks to the KDL Programming Department, the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro and outro music. Thank you.